0: Hello, I'm Jason Solomons. Welcome to another edition of Seen Anything Good Lately, the podcast where the pros reveal what they love in film and TV and give you the toppest tips on what to watch.
1: In the last few days, I saw White Riot. I recently watched
2: a series on Netflix called Kingdom.
0: And my guests on this edition you heard there are esteemed rock photographer Gerard Mankovitz and former child star Thomas Turgus. As well as taking many famous shots of legends from Jimi Hendrix to the Stones and Susie Quattro, Gerard has produced a new six-part series on Sky Arts called Icon Music Through the Lens about the history and evolution of the art of rock photography. And Thomas... Well, you know and love him as Sean from This Is England, and we find him all grown up now with a very strong performance in a new British movie, Looted. I've known Tomo since his first ever press interviews for This Is England in 2006, so it's a pleasure to catch up with him for this show. We'll find out what Gerard and Tomo have been watching right after I tell you if I've seen anything good lately. I've been catching a few films at the UK Jewish Film Festival this year. It's gone entirely online, which I think was a really good decision not to sort of do that hybrid thing of being in physical cinemas as well. They just said, right, we're going online. None of this nonsense. That's where you're going to see it. And, uh, of course, it's still going on and going very strong with some great, great audiences and some really interesting works in the programme. The opening night gala was When Hitler Stole Pink Rabbit, an adaptation of... Of Judith Carr's book about her family coming to the UK after fleeing Hitler. Judith went on to write The Tiger Who Came to Tea and I'm sure anyone with kids will know that one. Judith died uh, only last year uh, here in the UK after an extraordinary career. The film which she contributed on the screenplay to is very polished. Uh, it's a charming German language adaptation directed by Oscar winner Caroline Link and it gets that confusion of a child's point view very well about the fear of having to flee from home in 1933 Berlin and be without your fugitive father who's irascible and criticises Hitler's regime. Uh, There's the fear of leaving behind your favourite cuddly toy, which is the title of the film, uh, and your favourite nanny. So the family has to leave their well-to-do life behind and travel to Switzerland and into Paris and they're always trying to fit in as Germans, as Jews, uh, as newly poor refugees.
1: That is the
2: end Aus
1: Deutschland. Der Flüchtling. Sie geht
2: in Güten die Klasse. Herzlich willkommen, Anna.
0: I really liked it. It could have done with a bit more oomph some more incident perhaps to make it a must see family film my kids watched it all the way through with the subtitles and everything so they quite liked it but I can't say everyone was bowled over by it I have also seen the closing night film of the UK Jewish Film Festival called Honey Mood a romantic comedy I enjoyed very much written and directed by Talia Lavi about a bride and groom arguing their way through their wedding night in their very nice paid for hotel room and in the streets of Jerusalem it's funny and honest uh, about romance and weddings and it's very nicely played by actors Avigail Harar and Ran Danker. You can still catch the film on November the 19th and after it I host a really nice Q&A with its director Talia Lavi. So just go to ukjewishfilm.org to see it. <laughs> Okay, let's hear from Thomas Turgus first. He's best known, forever known, as Sean, the little skinhead from Shane Meadows' This Is England, the 2006 film that became a phenomenon, a cult phenomenon first, and then a TV show that launched the careers of those including Vicky McClure, Stephen Graham, Johnny Harris, Joe Hartley, Joe Gilgan, several more. (laughs)
1: Three times today. We'll stop that way,
2: pal. Who's picking on you, Alf? Harvey. Harvey. I've got one of those for you. My name is Harvey. <laughs> Honestly, mate, you look sterling. <laughs> Cheers for today. It's been the best day of my life. Come on, you are more than welcome. <laughs> hey! I've got someone I want you to meet. You are proper little skinhead, then, yeah. Tomo
0: has grown up on our screens, appearing also in films such as Summer's Town for Shane and Eden Lake, uh, and then disappearing for a bit and returning more recently with Swimming with Men and a spot in Game of Thrones. He's on good form in new British film Looted, playing Leo, who's the toxic best mate of lead character Rob, Charlie Palmer Rothwell, persuading him to steal cars while Rob's actually stealing away Leo's girlfriend Kaz, played by Morgan Polanski. Yes, the daughter of. It's a return to the sort of social realist indie debut we're used to seeing Thomas in. And he looks happy to be back. Although, as I point out, his character Leo seems fun enough to begin with. But ultimately, he's got a violent and dangerously explosive side.
2: Yeah, and that's kind of what we went for, really. Sort of the unpredictability of of Leo. I took a lot from what Stephen Graham does in most of his things he's sort of you know he's got this very nice sensitive side but you know if you cross him then he can really really cause you some trouble so yeah i mean it was i thought um, i, I it
0: suspected was... it what i felt i thought but that's a very good compliment i didn't want to sort of say to you oh you, you reminded me of stephen gray I mean, he's obviously yeah. the finest screen actor we've got
2: at the moment and... <laughs> No, that would be the best compliment ever so i would have taken it <laughs> <laughs> no but you know i've i've I looked i've looked up to stephen from before i knew him as an actor i i look up to stephen as as uncle stephen so yeah i mean to take to take what he puts into his performances and sort of try my hardest to put it into into the character that you know that I was given with Leo
0: was it a bit more like going back to, to working with Shane or the, the the first the first early times of, of working with Shane
2: yeah in a way um again with the freedom that we that were that we given um and you know a, a lot of the scenes was improvised um there was a lot of trust i think that's that, that's the the key thing for me when you're doing a heavily improvised piece, you've really got to have trust in the director, and you've really got to have trust in the actors that are opposite you as well, because you know they they, they might throw something at you mid scene that you've really got a you know you've got to react to how you would. It, it's it can be risky, I think, doing a lot of improvisation, but I think we really hit the nail on the head with this one, mate. The amount of money that you just offered us. It'd be stupid not to do that. It'll be in and out, mate. Take it's JP nine. then. We'll be home by ten. I'm not taking him. Why? Because he can't drive.
1: Oh, I'm sorry, mate. Right. What's this? Gold. Why don't you ask for
2: money? It's a tough market, you div. Gold's worth more than pounds nowadays. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> Since when you know anything about gold? Since when do you know anything about anything? I know everything. <laughs> Go on. All right, mum and dad. And I
0: I was very impressed with Morgan Polanski, I have to say. I mean, I know she's got quite a thoroughbred name there mm. as well. But I mean, she was really, really impressive in the way she performed, how she was kind of free. I thought she brought a different sort of, you know, texture between the two of you.
2: Yeah, yeah. It was that sort of, the, the sort of the middle piece between, the the rose between two thorns, really. Yes. She's really sweet. And yeah, and getting to work with her again, you know, like you've just said, that the family that she comes from, it's, it's just immense talent. Did
0: you ever cross your mind? And maybe if it hasn't crossed your mind, I'm going to make it cross your mind now, that Roman Polanski is going to
2: be watching this and thinking, oh who's yeah. that kid <laughs> well that thats that—that that was the thing when we was on set You know, Mor- Morgan had, had come in and she'd be like oh yeah I've just been on FaceTime to my dad and I'm like yeah that, that's pretty normal I guess yeah I've just been on FaceTime to my dad he's at work on the oil refinery <laughs> <laughs> yeah hopefully your dad likes it I'm sure he will
0: yeah, well, I think he should be very proud of her because I think she's really, really terrific in it, as are you yeah. all. Have you, How have you found it? Have you found it, um, you know, getting parts? Because I don't see you as much as I'd like to. I really enjoyed the swimming with men uh, that you yeah. were in. That was a really sweet little part that you had there.
2: Yeah, swimming with men. It was good fun. It's kind of, I think I'm going through a period now where I think when we last spoke, it must have been 10 years.
0: Yeah, God, is it... I know it was Summerstown for sure. I'm trying to think it must have been another time. I feel like you've always been around in my life, but that's because, you know, you were six when I met you.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, as you know, I I worked from the age of 13 right up until the age of 18. And I never really spent any time at home. I never really saw any of my friends. So when I turned 18, I kind of decided, right, I'm going to have a not I I didn't say the words I'm going to have gap year I'm not gonna have time off but I kind of like I was enjoying going out and drinking to be honest and I was drinking a lot with my friends and I was going out and I was having fun and I was going on holidays and I, I wasn't putting in the work that I should have been and it was only really when, when I moved in with my now wife it kind of struck me and I was like wow I've got a mortgage to pay now and you know I've I've, I've I need to start growing up and that's when I started really working hard on the scripts that I was sent and really putting more into life and now, pretty much over the last sort of three or four years, I've really been pretty much non stop working. So, do you
0: feel you could have gone badly off the rails and that you're almost swerved yeah, a real bad one? Been.
2: Yeah, I think I could have done that. You know, I was going out a lot. I was, you know, I was getting up to things I shouldn't have been doing. And I I, I do do a, I do a lot of DJing, which sort of like sucked me out of the, the film world. Because what comes with DJing is a lot of drinking and a lot of traveling. And, you know, I was sort of not working on the scripts as hard as I could have been. So maybe I held myself back a little bit. But I learned a, a lot about myself. I learned a lot about... What I wanted out of life, and, and again, I really realized you do get out of life what you put in. Do you do acting well, lessons? I'm, I'm and not stuff. saying I regret all the things that I did. No, because God, you
0: should enjoy it. I think it's really, yeah, exactly. really healthy that you that, and, and it, you still look all right. You could not you, yeah. you be ravaged <laughs> if, you, if, if you're if you one of those internet things like you never guess what Sean from This Is England looks like now, and you're all <laughs> fat and horrible. Yeah,
2: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, then versus now. Yeah, God, it could have been. It could, could have gone McCauley yeah. Culkin
0: on, on, on us,
2: <laughs> but yeah, what... no, but um, yeah, I mean, I, again, I just I learned a lot about myself and and it's so like now I find that when I'm on set and I'm I'm working with these with these amazing people you know I'm learning so much and I'm taking so much on I'm just sort of I feel like I'm learning the craft more now because when I was a kid as you know I was like I just got on with it I just did it and it was it wasn't really it, well, I didn't really have to think about it, whereas now, as a man, I've got to think about the things that I'm saying and doing, and the way that I'm presenting mm. myself on set. And yeah, it's kind of like, and it's it's an enjoying experience. It's it's an exciting, it's an exciting experience. It's just I'm 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 really enjoying my time now as as. As, a, as an adult on set
0: yeah crazy. I have to say that I've obviously followed you and seen you but I thought in this one in Looted you, uh, it was really lovely to. You, you looked very relaxed and you looked very very you this part and you, you'd really grown into it and I was really proud so I was, I'm really glad that yeah. I could uh, catch up with you Thomas what no, have you I been what, so. what have you been doing What have you seen anything good lately Thomas Turgus
2: have I seen anything good lately I recently watched a series on Netflix called Kingdom. It's about a family of MMA fighters in LA. Basically, I struggle to remember the name of the the, the main actor. It'll come to me. It will come to me. But basically he's... um, he, he's a world famous MMA fighter and he's got two kids and they're sort of like being forced into that world and maybe they don't, maybe they don't want to. One of them's um, struggling with drug addiction, one of them's struggling with, with, with their sexuality and how he struggles with sexuality in such a, a masculine world is... Such an issue, which is ridiculous. So, yeah, that was great. Uh, I King, haven't seen uh, start, Kingdom. That's it, a good shout. It is really good. What well, yeah. do you and really
0: the Misses watch? you the lovely Charlotte.
2: She She's into like Eastenders and Coronation Street. But we like a lot of travel. We, we, watch, we watch a lot of travel documentaries and things. We've We've just started watching uh, An Idiot Abroad, obviously Ricky Gervais and Stephen Merchant and Carl Pilkington, which I think Carl Pilkington is one of the most amazing men I've ever seen. So, we, so we're watching that. We watched, um, there was a thing called Race Across the World. Yes. It was on BBC. Have you seen that? Yes. Well, I, I, couldn't,
0: I didn't stick with it all, but I thought, wow, what oh, a good yeah. idea.
2: Yeah, it's a great concept. So yeah, we're really into sort of traveling because uh, tra- we, we like to travel ourselves as well. So we sort of see these places that people visit and we're like, well, maybe we should go there next. But yeah, just not at the minute.
0: How fantastic. Well, obviously not now. That's why, well we, get, that's why we watch films, it. isn't it, Tom? So we can we can travel in our head. Do you watch what all your old muckers do? You know, like Vicky McClure. Do you watch Line of Duty? Do you, do you catch up with Stephen, whatever Line he's Duty, in?
2: Me and Charlotte are obsessed with that. I don't know why I didn't think of that. So I'd watched um, the first couple of series before and then Charlotte watched it from series five. Is that the one that Stephen Graham did? Yes, Series 5. Well, oh God, I hope I, watched, I get it right. I was watching that and Charlotte was one of them. It was one of them where she was on a phone and she sort of sits like that and she goes, and then the phone goes down and she's like, oh, what's going on now? What's happening? So then she went back and watched it from the first series, which she, she loved. So yeah, I'm excited for the next series of that. I think they've, just about finished they're filming filming. we had
0: Johnny Owen on the show last week oh oh, Johnny I love Johnny yes I thought you would and yes he said that she's out in Belfast filming it in this Mm. secure bubble so he doesn't get to see her very much you know she comes back and she's allowed to sort of disinfect herself give him a kiss and go back to film the rest of the line of duty yeah
2: Yeah. it's all a bit of a unknown territory for everyone at the moment isn't it it's kind of like just the idea of anyone starting production now is just like understandably a lot of production companies are just saying we're not going to start up now because there's just no point because Cause it's the the future so unpredictable at the minute, so it's kind of like, yeah,
0: Thomas. It's been brilliant catching up with you. Really pleased to see you in Looted, and re- really, I thought you were back on top form. Really beautiful oh, thank to see. You, have, have, exactly have you I've heard from Shane? Like- I haven't seen Shane for a while. Shane Meadows, you're yeah, your, your, well, your main guy.
2: Yeah, well, I, I'd not spoken to Shane for a bit of a while. And then that whole thing came about. I don't know if you can, if you saw it online or in the press. Um, one of my friends got hold of my phone and tweeted. Uh, he went on my Twitter. He was at a festival. And um, someone come up to me at like 7pm. I'd left my phone in my tent. And someone come up to me and said, oh, congratulations, mate. And I was like, oh, oh what, on the wedding? I said, oh, we've been married for a year now. But, oh, thanks. And he went, no one, well, this is England. And I was like, oh, th- I mean, it's been out for 10 years now. But, yeah, cheers. Thank- thanks. And he went... No, on the new series, congratulations. I was like, what, are we making a new one? And then it turns out that my mate put on my Twitter, oh, we're buzzing to confirm that we're making a new This Is England. And then that just blew up. And then Shane texted me saying, dude, what the fuck? And I was like, oh, my God. And we just started chatting again. And um, I met up with him uh, pre-lockdown. Yeah, we had a wagamama. And just, uh, I know he's busy writing something else away from This Is England at the moment, which is exciting. Huge fan of the virtues of what what him and and Jack Thorne had created. It was brilliant,
0: wasn't it? Yeah. Oh
2: my god! It's ha- Stephen's performance in that was heartbreaking.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Oh, well, that was absolutely superb. Actually,
2: I probably say this every time I see Stephen in anything. I say that's the best thing he's ever done, and he just goes on in leaps and bounds. But yeah, the virtues was was it was so so good.
0: So uh, when when he said, "Oh, cheers, we're making a yeah, you know, you're you're making another this thing," and shame was like, "Well, I haven't written anything." Did he
2: say, "Well, we're not gonna do one," or did he say, well, "No, you never it, know? Because I obviously I was straight on the I was straight on the like, dude, I'm so sorry. Like my fo- my mate got hold of my phone because I thought he was gonna kick off. I thought he was going to be like, but then he just turned around and he said, you know what? It's so nice that people still care um, because it's been so long since we last did one. And Shane's always said, you know, he's never going to say it's the end of it. He doesn't know whether we'll make another one, but what he did say is he said, it's so nice that people still care about the characters and care about what we've created. So, and it is nice. It is nice that people still care about it because I think it's been six years now since we released one. Where did we get up to? 90. Yeah, this is in the 90. Yeah, so... So yeah, Woody and Lol finally got married, and everyone lived happily ever after, other than Combo Stephen. So yeah. yeah, I guess I don't know. It'd be it'd be good to make another one. But really uh, look
0: where be. we are now. You could never uh, you could never even imagine where we are. This is Brexit. This is COVID. You know, you oh can have a whole God, bloody thing. Imagine,
2: yeah. <laughs> but you know, I, there's no doubt in my mind because a, a small part of me says we've created something so beautiful and people love it. We'd hate to ruin that. But you know, when Shane. Gets his thinking cap on. He's going to create something that. Do you
0: know what? It, you thought that every time. Well, there is going to be another. You know, in '86, you're going to ruin it. But it it, it, yeah. it almost gets gets better and better because you get older and older. We get older and older, and it, it's something to sort of judge our, judge ourselves by. You know, judge a yardstick of the nation and watching mm. you grow up. So it's it's probably your fault. You'll be people will be asking you about that. You know, when you're in your seventies and your eighties, you're going yeah, to do another oh, one. I hope
2: so, Yeah, it's so like from when we first met 13 mm. years ago when when the film was released. It was kind of like because I, I I never knew what was going to happen i had no idea that 14 years later people would still be stopping me in the street for photos i had no idea that people that would care about it so much so yeah it's just it's it just crazy how how it all turned yeah, out look,
0: look these things are very special they're very rare as well you know mm-hmm. that doesn't it just doesn't happen to everyone so you know you take no. it as a blessing and you, and you live with it really congratulations on looted thomas uh brilliant to see you and uh and uh you know keep keep practicing and chipping away mate
2: Chipping away, as it were. Thanks, mate. Nice to catch up.
0: And Looted is streaming now on BFI Player, Curzon Home Cinema, Amazon and several more. I've mainly been watching the US election lately. We all have, surely. It was agonising, wasn't it? I watched it on Sky News, on BBC News, on CNN, on Fox News, wherever I could. Just waiting for it to be different on another channel. Which, bizarrely, it was. With various interpretations and reactions and tallies, depending on how you take your readings of these things, which I thought was rather strange and bizarre. It was slow, wasn't it? I mean, someone mentioned to me that uh, now the Americans can finally understand the exquisite torture of test cricket. But, you know, it was building and it was shaping and it was gripping drama before it became a farcical soap opera. Of course, it's still going on. I was very keen to see John Oliver's Last Week Tonight, which I always catch on Sky comedy. Uh, And it was finally good to see John smile properly after four years of really hard work trying to satirise Trump without really being able to to nail him. It's been very frustrating watching that excellent comedian and a very smart chauffeur of writers to land any punches that counted. But credit to John Oliver and his team, and to me as a viewer. We've all kept going, we've kept tutting and kept hoping, and now we can breathe and get some sense back. And maybe we can start taking the mickey out of american politics properly again satire might work look there's still a few months of uh, trump tantrums to go i honestly can't wait till his pinched mouth and punchable face disappear off my screens forever and that'll be the best thing i've seen not lately but in a long long while all right bit of politics there It's more humane common sense than politics frankly isn't it but on sky arts right now a new series has begun icon music through the lens examining the craft and the legacy of the underappreciated art of rock photography it's an excellent overview of the profession full of stories and images and music chronicling a social history as well as an aesthetic one it's very well put together and produced by my guest Gerard Mankiewicz. Now Gerard has a bit of film blood in him too. He's the son of famous British screenwriter Wolf Mankiewicz who penned important London films such as Expresso Bongo, A Kid for Two Farthings and The Day the Earth Caught Fire. Uh, and as well as that Gerard now appears in front of the camera in his own series Icon alongside Terry O'Neill, Kevin Cummins, Anton Corbin, uh, and many more well-known and lesser-known photographers and lots of big stars all telling the stories behind how they captured and created images that have over the years become iconic. So I began by asking Gerard about his own pictures, the ones that are now famous of Jimi Hendrix.
1: It's a strange story and part of the problem was that in my youthful arrogance or I don't know confidence or self-belief or whatever Mm -hmm. I made this conscious decision to photograph him in black and white because I I wanted to take him very seriously. I wanted to treat him with dignity and gravitas and he was important to me although he hadn't had a hit. I mean he just arrived really but he was clearly an extraordinary musician and a remarkable looking person and he wore the clothes of the day with such panache it was as though everything at that moment 1967 was designed for him I mean it was just quite extraordinary but I I was adamant that I wanted to shoot him in black and white and Chaz Chandler who was his manager who was a friend of mine who gave me the gig who asked me to work with Jimmy he seemed cool with it I mean I don't know whether he fully appreciated it. What it was and when i did those pictures the famous picture you know came out at, to us we, we knew we'd got a great portrait of jimmy and we were going to try and make that the cover but the record company was adamant that there had to be a color photograph on the cover and Chaz, either i don't know because i've never discussed it with him really but Either he just agreed with them or didn't want to put up a fight. It seemed irrelevant. So they did another session with somebody else and I didn't get the cover. And my pictures were sort of relegated to my bottom drawer. It wasn't until really the 90s that the, the image became famous.
0: But I suppose that's it, isn't it? When you look at Icon, I mean, and the, the series is called Icon. It's about what makes something iconographic. And some of that is time. And some of that is the story that, uh, you know, that I didn't know that uh, Jimmy was not long for this world after you took that, that those pictures are two or three years later, he was dead. And and you look at the, the Tupacs and the Amys and the Hendrixes and the, you know, the Cobain, the Kurt Cobain, the Bob Marley. Early death helps promote them uh, as an icon, but only if you've got the right photo that captures them at a certain time. It's, it's a combination of those things and a very, you can't really sort of, you can't predict them.
1: In making... I- icon music through the lens. We thought we discussed this with every photographer. Every every interview, we discuss what makes a, an image iconic. What makes a picture iconic? And everybody, I think, agrees in one way or the other that um, an iconic image grows. You don't you don't know you you you've taken it. You don't know it's iconic. I, I always try to do the best portrait that I could. I always try to photograph the person, but I never ever imagined for a split second that the picture would have any life beyond the following three or four weeks, months maybe, you know, if I was lucky, or whatever album or single I was working for. The, The fact is that it's a combination of the power of the subject and their music. An iconic photograph is indelible. It always stays with you. Music photography is like the music itself. It's part of our cultural heritage. It's part of our shared identity as a people. Besides the music itself, these photographs are the most important visual document of these musical artists. I feel like I'm documenting musical history. What I do is a form of music. It's just music for the eyes. The first episode of Icon is really about music imagery it's called on camera and, and it's about that making of the music image the second episode focuses on live music photography and it's a fantastic episode it's like you're exhausted at the end of it. oh my it's god like
0: there's so much energy in that one
1: <laughs> so much so much energy and then the third episode is about album covers uh which is so important and and is an episode that I'm particularly thrilled by because album covers are so important to me and as a consumer of music, album covers were so important to me. And so that's a very, a really important issue. And then episode four is the editorial one, which of course is key.
0: Yes, it's about spotting on the contact sheet the, the, the image that you've got.
1: Yeah, and, and so the photo editors are important, but also I think what's really key to music photography generally is that the editorial magazines, the rise of, of magazines, music magazines, that really gave photographers the opportunity to contribute and to focus on music because suddenly there was a lot of media that wanted music photography. And so a lot of photographers got their start in Music Press. So number 4 is really important. Number 5 is on the wall and then and then number 6 is the future is Instagram and well that that's
0: where Ob- I, I mean obviously you've taken us through brilliantly and I really love the way that the series is sort of mapped out like that. It is it, a very smart way of doing it, but it's the right way of doing it because you know you mentioned those album covers they become iconic in themselves as artifacts not it's not just the photo it's the music they they kind of cover over as well and they contain inside or maybe they're double albums and the stories that we put with them because we take these things with us we have them on our shelves they've been through university with them we've we've skinned up joints on them we've kind of passed them around parties everyone's got them so those are fascinating and then there's the art bit of it and what what worries me not worries me is that is the future there that you point out. I haven't seen that episode, but I was going to ask, you know, that we don't have album covers in them. We don't even really have CD covers uh, anymore. What's the, we don't even have magazines. We don't have your karangs, your emojis, your cues so much uh, anymore. Where are we seeing music photography now? What would, what would you do if you were entering, if you were the young Gerard Mankovitz now, what would no. you do? <laughs>
1: <laughs> my gosh, I don't know what I would have done. What I do know, and, and what's been really exciting, is the number of young photographers who are working in music now, today, even with lockdown, they're working in music today. uh, And they are shooting with um, digital technology on phones. They're using Polaroid again. They're, They're experimenting. They're on the road. And their energy and their enthusiasm, uh, the way they embrace the technology, which is second nature to them, such an effort for people of my generation, but for them, it's second nature. You know, the artists are posting several times a day. Well, these photographers are posting every day and, and putting up wonderful work. So I was greatly encouraged. I mean, I don't know what the future holds, who does, but I feel very positive that music photography is going to live on as long as there is music, there are going to be fantastic committed photographers recording it, and that's brilliant.
0: It seems to need it. As a bit of music obviously needs listeners and it needs fans, but it seems to need somehow that over the years you photographers have put yourself in as very much part of the conversation in order to record music. There's symbiotic kind of a, 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 a sort of disciplines, I would say, artistic disciplines.
1: I think that's I think that's true. I I haven't really thought about it, but I think that's absolutely right. And I think that it's it's an important part of it. I mean, I remember back in the olden days, you know, I remember um, one of my first records that I ever bought, Stay by Morris Williams and the Zodiacs in 1960. I had no idea what Morris Williams looked like.
0: Yeah.
1: I didn't know that the Zodiacs were four blokes. I thought there was a woman in there because there was this fantastic, falsetto, falsetto yeah. there, which, which I loved, you know, and I just thought, and I had no idea until I went into a record shop. I don't know what I was going to buy and there behind him was a poster and there was Morris Williams and the Zodiacs. And suddenly I went, Oh, photograph you know there was this link and it meant so much when i first heard the beatles on radio luxembourg on some bloody awful mono <laughs> headphone under my under my bed sheet <laughs> um i had no idea what they looked like i didn't know where they were from i i made assumptions ridiculous assumptions but that was what it was like and then the music so photography became the only way for a lot of fans to actually begin to relate to the artists that they were listening to.
0: And I think that does that. That's obtained all the way through through the hip-hop movements. You know, they it brings us closer to the artists that we're hearing. I think it's absolutely okay. made, absolutely clear by Icon Through the Lens, uh, which is on Sky Arts, which uh, I recommend it, I'm recommend i going to recommend to everyone. Because I think if you like music, if you like photography, if you like pop culture in a way, it, it's perfect. So congratulations on that, Gerard Mankiewicz. Um right. So people are going to watch that. But what are you watching, Gerard? Have you seen anything good lately?
1: I have. In the last few days, I saw White Riot. Have you seen White I Riot? I have.
0: We, we had the director, Ruby Shah, on, on oh. the show. Um, a terrific, uh, terrific work from someone who wasn't around at all during that period, which is what I think I really liked about it. It was, it was someone approaching it as history rather than someone who'd lived through it. And presumably you knew most of those artists. I don't know if you were there at the Rock Against Racism gig, Eric.
1: Well, I was, actually, yeah, because wow. as Red Saunders who was the sort of, I wouldn't want to say he was the star of the of the film, but he was very important to the film and, of course, absolutely integral to Rock Against Racism. He was my closest friend and we shared studios. So we were sharing a studio at that time where Ra was sort of born, actually. And I was involved, but only on the very, very fringe. I mean, I, I was involved quite a lot on the fringe. I supported them. I helped make contacts for them so i knew all those people and oh, wow. i
0: mean they were very under very underground very underfunded very sort of ad hoc punk aesthetic
1: oh yeah there was no funding i mean i don't think there was any funding which is why i was on the phone <laughs> to people saying can you lend us a front line or a back line or or whatever line we needed you know um no, no, it was fantastically ad hoc. But the thing is, it's, its inspiration was the fascists. You know, there were fascists on the street. There was this. And I found that looking at the film, White Riot, I found it inspiring and so distressing because time has sort of softened the horrifying impact that the National Front and the British Union of Fascists and the foul Martin Webster and John Tyndall and all they were absolute horrors and what they were doing to the youth was was frightening and the idea of bringing youth and music together uh, black and white unite and fight and I mean it was just absolutely wonderful and so it was exciting to see that it, do I you think she a... got
0: it given that it was not something she knew about at all growing up and it was done through archive and trying to get through it, that it was that it that it captured that time well and as you say brought it back it did to me I, I mean I was alive but a bit young to, but I seeing all that remember how well not to put too fine upon how shit London looked in the 70s in parts.
1: didn't it wasn't it I mean <laughs> (laughs) obviously it was (laughs) I mean I was thinking about you know 1977 you know Red and I I was sharing the studio with Red in Great Windmill Street in Soho And it it was shit. I mean, we loved it, but it was absolute shit. I mean, you know, Ham Yard was behind us. um, And and that was the the great scene club where the high numbers, you know, the Who had played back in the early part of the 60s. You know, was a horrible strip club, foul strip club. You could smell it from outside. (laughs) Oh, it was disgusting. There were meth drinkers uh, there. There were three-card trick guys on the street. There was porn in the window. There were Prostitutes on the street. It was really grim, and we loved it, of course, because it was Soho and it was full of characters. But it was, it was, it was, you know, really a horrible place. But seeing White Riot was was really distressing and and awe inspiring and. You know what a fantastic movement!
0: Oh, I'm what, really glad you. I'm really glad you enjoyed. It. How did you see it? Because it, it 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 was it was on a few cinemas, not many. You had to watch it online and then pay for it through modern films. They had this quite new distribution technique where you, if you watched the film, you gave it some money, but it, you also paid for the local cinema I, I, in a way to have it. They've done some quite new things modern films with it.
1: Yeah, we watched it actually. I think it was broadcast the other day because um, we only watched it over the weekend. So I think it, I think it was broadcast on the was it broadcast on the bbc at the last week
0: Oh, it may well have now got got there yeah they've done some really yeah. interesting things they sort of had some premieres and you know and they've done it all in you know under in this sort of locked down world so yes been quite innovative remar- with
1: it r- remarkable and i i haven't spoken to red since i've seen it i sent him a text whilst i was watching it and I, but I, I you know i do see them a couple of times a year and, and we always we touch base as they say yeah great well i yeah. well the um the, the the
0: young the young lady the young lady who directed it should be very pleased to know about your your approval i think that we uh there'll be something a feather in a cap to get at someone who knows it so well that that they felt that that sort of rush of remembrance as well were you
1: actually at the gig itself in in the park well we were we were and we were on the right uh, of the stage in what I think was laughingly called a sort of VIP area, <laughs> and Julia and I were there with our daughter who was only about two, and we've got a wonderful photograph of our of our daughter Jessie bopping away, dancing away. She loved dance; she still does actually, and she <laughs> and dancing away, and um, yeah, and we, we we didn't march. I don't know why we didn't march. Maybe because we were
0: well, you had a two-year-old as well. It wouldn't not so easy. Maybe,
1: Maybe that was it, and um, but we were there, and and it was a yeah, it was an extraordinary period, extraordinary period in history, very very important. And I think she did your, your Rubika Shah, I think did a wonderful job, yeah, and yeah. I loved it. And I'm I'm even get a credit at the end, which I was thrilled about because two or three of my pictures. Are used in it somewhere, so I was very proud and and thrilled and humbled to to be part of
0: it. Oh, that's lovely to hear! Really good, uh, really good story, good and a good pick for seeing anything good good lately there, Gareth. Uh, so, anything else that you've been watching? What you've been doing down there in Cornwall?
1: I tell you what, we have what we're quite keen on water presents.
0: On is it on BBC Four? Is it or Channel no, Four, it's, Channel it's, Four? Is isn't Channel it? Four. Yeah,
1: yeah. And we're quite keen on water presents because it's interesting. I mean, the whole Scandi Noir thing, which I guess started what six seven years ago. I don't know, I have terrible sense With Borgen, of time. You
0: know, Borgen and The Bridge and all of that.
1: Which we loved, enjoyed enormously. And, and that's given birth to this extraordinary Walter Presents thing, which brings in, as you know very well, foreign, mainly European uh, uh, television series. And it's very interesting, not just because they're often fantastic. The border which we've been watching, particularly the second series, which is Polish, is it very, has been very good, I think. Very interesting. I haven't
0: seen that one, Border, no.
1: The Border, yeah. there are two, two series. I think it's worth, definitely worth watching. We enjoyed it. And we watched something else on, on, on that called Moscow Noir.
0: Yes, I saw, I've seen a bit of that. That looks great. I haven't, I didn't, I only saw, I think, one, I think one bit of it, actually. And I thought, well, oh, I must see a bit more of that one. There's another one, there's a Budapest noir as well that they're they're all getting in on this. But I think the Moscow one looks really, um, looks like there's a lot of noir to be done in Moscow.
1: Yes, well, I mean, and, and although I think Moscow noir takes a little bit of a while to get going, uh, it's 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 very entertaining. And of course, earlier on, last year and into, I think the last series came out at the beginning of this year. It was uh, Berlin Babylon, or Babylon Berlin.
0: <laughs> yeah, the huge, huge production, that one.
1: Oh, and it, it was absolutely fantastic. I mean, that was really good, beautifully constructed and beautifully performed, and uh, it was marvellous. So we've been watching a lot of that. And Succession, of course. We, I, Succession is just fantastic. <laughs> and, and so good at the moment in a way so current because of the terrible trumps. This is my vision. I take over you two under me. Under you. Can we think about it? Of course. I thought about it. Fuck you. This
0: family's broken, and that has consequences. Kick out the old man, him with the new guard. Where have you been?
2: I was meeting about a prospective job. With your father's enemy? Mm -hmm. Disagreeing with dad is not treason.
1: You want this enough to go to war with your family? It's rebellion. Sabotage. Deliberate attempt to undermine my whole business. That's the death pit. Take a look. I feel like I might not like
2: it in the death pit. Stock's gone below 130.
1: We could death spiral here. Who's in charge right now? It's my company. You are a fucking nobody. You, came, you
0: come from a, a big family yourself. did you? you know, you had quite a few brothers and sisters, didn't you?
1: I had three brothers. Um, and and uh, yes, yeah, so there were four of us. I was the eldest. Yes, it was a sort of pretty <laughs> chaotic uh, household. My youngest brother is 14 years younger than me. So I almost left home by the time he was born. Um, but yes, for a while, there were three of us rampaging around and causing a certain amount of... <laughs>
0: Chaos and stress, I think, from my parents, yeah. Yeah, no, I don't... Because it, it's, it's obviously... A, what, what's brilliant about Succession is that anyone who's got a family, appreciate, even though, we're, you know, very few of them grow up with super yachts and massive houses and all that money, but everyone's got those family dynamics. They play out. They're just exaggerated and made... Well, hopefully not everyone's family is as bitter and twisted towards each other as that. But, but I think people do feel the politics within there, and that's what they, people appreciate and understand so well.
1: Yes, I, I think also... It's, it's beautifully written and very well constructed. And the acting is fantastic yeah, yeah. and and you know you, you can getting that all those elements right a story that just draws you in fantastic acting such powerful acting uh yeah, so we, we we love that and eager for um for covid to pass even if it's just so that we can get another yes i'm
0: with you we want season 3 of that where do, where do you watch these things going obviously the, the 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 quality of of image is probably very important to you do you have a massive telly do you sit down in front of or...
1: Yeah, we watch on a big telly. I mean, um, I've never felt comfortable watching on a a phone or iPad. We watch together. It's very much a shared experience. Our television is something that Julia and I we watch in the evening after dinner. And do you argue Uh, over? Do
0: you argue over what to watch? Do you sort of you know zoom over that Netflix thing and say, oh, we'll watch a bit of that, bit of that, and then never then get to you know you've done an hour of discussing what to watch and not actually doing it.
1: (laughs) Well, occasionally, you know, (laughs) I'll I'll say, why why don't we give this a try? And then after about twenty minutes. Julia quietly gets up and she said, I think I'm going to leave this one to you or whatever. <laughs> but no, generally, I mean, we talk about it quite a lot. You know, what are we going to watch? And then we tend to watch a series over several nights. We're, we're tired. By the end of the day, um, you know, we're tired. And, and, and an hour or an hour and a half really sort of does us. So we tend not to watch movies. We tend to watch, um, I guess you'd call them box sets.
0: Mm-hmm. Just a, just and enough bingeable nurse to, to, to want you to come back. It's very important, isn't it, to have that thing that you want to watch, you want to do it together. You know, there are those ones where, you know, say your wife, Julia, will say, no, you know, leave it to you. And you'll go, yes, oh, I, I, I that means I've got to go watch this in my own time, you know, if I want to watch it. I get that a lot, which is lucky because it's partly my job, which is so it's fine. But I'd much prefer one that we can both come to a consensus about and both love. I mean, it becomes a real, real shared experience.
1: Yes, uh, it, and it's very important to us. I mean, that's what that's what we do. I mean we're we're about half an hour from Plymouth which is where our nearest cinema is and it's a multiplex and they tend to have most of the stuff but they what they don't have is they don't have the good art movie stuff but to be honest with you I mean the last thing we went to see in the cinema was I think 1917 which I, we thought was terrible
0: you didn't like that one no
1: no uh, I, I I thought it was awful and and why is that is it because it was too Too much of a trick. Yes, because the trick dominated everything else about how it was made. And that's just, what's the point? I mean, really, it was just, it didn't work for me. I mean, yeah, I'm sort of fascinated about the back, you know, the behind the scenes movie of, of how it was made and everything. And I'm fascinated by the making of these things, of course, you know. But actually, at the end of the day, I didn't think, I thought that the drama, the story... The excitement I thought was was spoilt by the trick and I didn't think the trick was particularly effective yeah what well
0: you you, you you know you grew up in i don't know if you grew up on movie sets but you certainly grew up with movies you know you're going to maybe you went to your dad's premieres i don't know and he he, he made some of my favorite but well, he wrote some of my favorite movies from espresso bongo and the day the earth caught fire which is perhaps my favorite london sci-fi of all time you know i don't know if you if, so. you 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 always knew about the image of behind the scenes
1: yes i mean from quite an early age we we'd go and we'd go down he'd take me on on set I mean, I went on the set of Expresso Bongo. I met Cliff Richard, whatever that was, 1957, 57, 50, 58. Yeah. You know, which was a good 15 years before I photographed him, which was quite funny. <laughs> I did a lot of covers for Cliff in the 70s. But um, um, yeah. So, and I loved that. I loved the whole movie making process. I loved what seemed to me from the outside as being this fantastic collaborative machine, everybody working together. But and then in the 60s, I sort of assumed that my photography would lead me to a, a career as a director, a filmmaker at least. Mm. And um, and then I went and did shot stills or what was called special stills on a couple of movies. And I was so horrified by the madness and the insanity and the ghastliness of being on set for a long period. I mean, visiting it is one thing, glamorous and exciting and fun, but actually, being on a movie day after day after day and seeing all the terrible petty squabbles and the terrible prima donna behavior, and the, you know, <laughs> it was just too ghastly for words. And I, I couldn't get back to music quick enough.
0: <laughs> well, I suppose you don't have as so many people to control as well. You know, if a movie director was like an army, isn't it? That you've got to command as well. So it's sort of much, much, much simpler in a way to have a, maybe you've got a couple of assistants doing your, do your work, and you're so much closer. Even when you're directing, you're not as close to the subject as, a, uh, as you as a photographer would be. You've got the cameraman in the way. You've got the makeup girls all going in the way. So you, 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 you're much more intimate as a photographer.
1: Yes. And, and photography is a and that's a key word. Photography is an incredibly intimate process. And, and, and that's part of what I love about it. And I think that comes across in just going back for a second to in, in icon music through the lens. I think that intimacy uh, is, is really important and it's played out in so many of the images the great images that we see so yes it's it it is an intimate process and what i i think what i really learned was that you can't cope with lots of madness you have to deal with the madness that you understand and i've always somehow managed to cope with the madness of the music industry and quite enjoyed a lot of it and it's
0: it's lovely hearing those memories that you have of soho you must have Remember, must have almost a heyday for foreign movies. You Obviously, you like them now with what your Walter Presents etc. But you, the, the time when people used to queue around the block for the new Fellini or the new Godard or the new Truffaut, you know, God, I, I wish we still had that excitement about the foreign movies. Uh, still, It must have been a must have been exciting.
1: It, it was, you know, and and the new Bond, for instance. Oh my God, and,
0: yes. Well, they would probably still queue still for that. At the moment, they'd yeah. be so desperate for it.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, big West End movies were events. You know, uh, you'd go to, I don't know, the Odeon Leicester Square was a favorite, was a great favorite. And um, it was an event. It was only very slightly less of an event than going to the theater it was a really big deal you go to the west end to see it on a big screen with fantastic sound and the Wurlitzer organ and the girls selling kiora suncrush orange or whatever it was called it was an event and it was lovely and and queuing was part of that and i am sure you don't remember you're too young but have you any recollection through other people if not your own of the people who used to entertain the queues
0: oh my gosh they do pop up yes i do remember going with my grandparents uh, to, to to the odin uh, queuing and there was there was a there was a, there was a, there was a bit sort of a guy who would always chain himself up and sort of an escapologist in front of us in the queue. And I remember very, very vividly seeing him and thinking that must hurt and the sort of indentations on his skin. they absolutely shocked by him. So yes, I do remember, but there, I know there are many more stories of those people.
1: Uh, they were fantastic, fantastic buskers. There was one guy, there was the, the Plaza Cinema on the corner of Lower Regent Street and German Street. <laughs> and there was one guy old man in a terrible old uh, raincoat and, and that was his pitch and what he would do is he'd walk up and down the queue and he'd mutter and he'd announce yeah, you're going to see something now you're really going to see something now and then finally when he'd sort of got everybody's attention he'd go into the gutter and he'd put a matchbox into the gutter and then he very carefully walk about 10 paces up the street and then he'd trot towards the matchbox which he would then jump over with great ceremony and he'd go Ah, ah. everybody everybody was sort of weeping with laughter and would give him you know a few pence it was lovely i mean It was probably the most ghastly life for the poor chap, but it was lovely for
0: us. Listen, he got a clap and he got a laugh and in a way that's, that's all we're doing any of this for is to get a reaction uh, these days. That, that the reaction's going to be fabulous to, to Icon Life Through the Lens. I really do. I think I, it's going to do really well on Sky Arts. I hope people will watch it and learn quite a lot about music and photography and, and the life and be, be quite inspired to do it, as you say. There's a future in it somehow. I don't know if it, you know. The, I don't know if anyone ever said that to you when you, were, when you were a kid. Don't do this. Get a problem proper job my dad (laughs) well he never had a proper job so (laughs) in the end you did all right out of it Gerard Mankiewicz thank you so much for joining me it was lovely to see you and lovely to speak to you and lovely to see your series and thank you so much for all your recommendations on seeing anything good lately
1: thank you very much been lovely talking to you I've really enjoyed it lovely to see you as well
0: and Icon Music Through the Lens is on Sky Arts right now All of which brings us to the end of this edition of Seen Anything Good Lately. I'm still not finished with The Queen's Gambit. Although I must say I'm amazed by how so many people are talking about it. Like it's the best thing ever. I've done four episodes and look I confess I nearly gave up after two. In fact I I stated boldly to my wife that... If episode 3 didn't pick it up, I was out and she would be left to watch it on her own. I guess those are the sort of conversations lots of people have, you know, it's like, oh, I'm going to stick with that, or that's one for you, and I'm going to go watch something else. But I did like episode 3, so I'm still here, but I can't say I'm as enraptured about it as everybody else, as the general vibe seems to be. I guess it's like the Tiger King, you know, which the whole of the world was watching as lockdown one hit. The Queen's Gambit is the hit of lockdown two, and everyone's watching it at the same time. So it's no... great discovery, but I am surprised by how many people are absolutely loving it. Yes, there's nice dresses and hotel locations and great furniture, but drama's missing for me, or a bit, a bit of jeopardy somehow. Anyway, there's some nice tunes in it, aren't there? So let's go out on one of those from The Queen's Gambit, which is something good we've all seen lately. It's the Vogue's and you're the one. See you next week.
1: Every time we meet, everything is sweet.
2: Oh, you're so tender, I must surrender My love is your love.